Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 17th, and our passage for today is the book of Haggai, chapter 1. I'm going to introduce the book in this podcast, and in the next podcast, we will look more specifically at the very message that Haggai, the man whose name means festival, when you greet someone during a festival day, you say Hag. Hag, C-H-A-G, is the greeting that says happy, joyous festival. It is a, a tremendous name, and God gave him a tremendous message. As you'll recall, the captivity of Judah began in 605 B.C. with the capture of the city of Jerusalem, that is, without firing a shot. And Nebuchadnezzar took all of the elite and the blue bloods from the city, the intelligentsia, all of those young men and women who would be fit for his court. And so he took Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, and many others to Babylon to begin a three-year program of getting them ready to serve in his court. As you'll recall, he castrated the boys, Daniel and his friends, and he made them eunuchs. And Daniel not only served Nebuchadnezzar, but his two sons, then Cyrus the Persian, and all the way down to Darius the first. And you can read about that in the book of Daniel. It was not too much longer after he left, a puppet king installed. In 597, he came back and he took almost all of the people that were of any import whatsoever. And in this second phase of this Judean captivity or exile, he took Ezekiel, the prophet. Now recall, Daniel was in the palace while Ezekiel was out with the common people on one of the branches off of the great rivers of Mesopotamia called the River Kibar. It was actually a canal. And so Ezekiel was there. Jeremiah was in uh, still in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he was in trouble because he was prophesying that the people were going to go into captivity for a period of 70 years. And indeed, that was the case. After 605 and the puppet king fell in 597, Nebuchadnezzar came back and took Ezekiel and he said, if I come back again, I will destroy everything. And that is exactly what he did. So in 586 BC, 586 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city. He totally destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed all of the beautiful surroundings of the temple and the temple itself. For a period of 70 years, the people of God were without a central worship center. From 586 B.C. down to 516, 70 full years, just as the prophet Jeremiah had predicted, the people would be without a worship center in the holy city of Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And so it wasn't long until trouble was in the great kingdom of Babylon. Remember, it only lasted from 612 when the Assyrian capital was destroyed in Nineveh. 
down to 539. That is a very short span of time for a kingdom as powerful as the Babylonians to fall that quickly, but it did. And the reason was, remember, history is his story. It's the story of God. And that's what we've said from the very outset of these readings together in the story called the Bible. It is the story of God's working in history, how he is moving everything toward a great rendezvous with him one day. And so now in 539 B.C., uh, Cyrus the Persian took over Babylon. You can read about that in the book of Daniel, the night that the handwriting was on the wall, the hand of God saying to Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balances and you have come up lacking. You've come up short. You've come up wanting, and the kingdom will be ripped from your hand. And indeed, he was killed that night, and the Persians came in. That happened in 539 B.C. It didn't take Cyrus very long, the great king and deliverer, that Isaiah had prophesied 200 years earlier that God would raise up Cyrus, even call him by name, and that he would be something of a Messiah to bring the people out of bondage and out of slavery back into the land. And indeed he did. As he began to search the records, he found these Jewish people that were now living all over Babylon were once a great people. And so he issued a decree that the Jews could go back home. I am certain, after reading history and military strategy, that God used the Egyptians to spark this deliverance in the heart of Cyrus because he needed a people that would be loyal to him, that would be a buffer between the pharaohs of Egypt and the rest of the Persian Empire. And if he could plant someone in Jerusalem, a great people that were independent, that would be loyal to him, indeed he would do that. And God used all of these things in what we call secular history. Really, there is no secular versus religious history. It's all God's story. And he just brings it together. We don't study that very much as followers of Jesus and as Bible students, much to our hurt and harm, because you see, God uses world events to accomplish his will and to get his people alert and ready to do his will. And it just seems like that sometimes they're disconnected, but they're not, because God is the sovereign God of all of history and all of the the world. He is the God of the whole earth. And so he arranged everything just like it was. Cyrus decreed that the people could go back. That was in 538. Well, as you'll recall, they returned under Zerubbabel, who was of the tribe of Judah and the kingly families. And they came back to Jerusalem. And it took three years, three years to get enough people back, something like 50,000 people came back. You say, well, is that all that came back? Yes, because Jeremiah the prophet had said, you need to go to Babylon and plant there. You need to pray for the city, pray for the government, pray for the leadership, because as they live in peace and they prosper, you will live in peace and you will prosper. Stop longing to come back home this quickly because you're going to be there for 70 years. And so after 70 years, they were in their own routines. They were in their own marketplace, and they had their own routines of land, rituals of life, and they had planted in the land, and so only 50,000 came back after the decree in 538.
feet, and it took three years to get enough back to begin to lay the foundation of the great temple of God, and they built it on the very platform that Solomon had built the temple during the period after his father David's death that they dedicated to God in around 960, 959, something along that line when the temple was dedicated, and it lasted all the way down to 586 B.C. But now it had been raised down to the foundation. And so in 535 B.C., the foundation was laid for the second temple, but they only built for a year. And then because of the uproar of the enemy of the people that lived in the place and because of letters that were sent back to the Persian Empire, there was a halt put to the work. And even though that was remedied, the people were apathetic. They were lacking passion to build and to carry forth the work of God that had been begun. And so the temple lay waste with just the foundation laid for almost 14 years. Now think about that. And what was happening during that time? The people were building their own houses. They were spending their time, their money, their energy, doing what was best for them, not what was best for the temple of God. Oh, how this is instructive for those of us who live on this side of the cross of Calvary. We need to keep this in mind. These people went about their own business. Now, they weren't worshiping idols like they were before the days of the exile. They weren't involved in the same kind of sins, but it was a different kind of sin that was separating them from the face of their God and the power of God and the enablement and the equipment of God. And so it was a bad time. The people had just totally forsaken the Lord and any purpose or plan that had begun 14 years earlier as to why they They came back, not just to come back to their homeland. They came back to build a central worship center. That was part of the instruction of Cyrus, the great king of Persia. And so God raised up two fiery prophets. One was Haggai, and one was indeed Zechariah, Zechariah, the prophet, the one who remembers God remembers. Yah remembers. That's the name of Zechariah, which we will uh, deal with at another podcast. But I want you to understand just how important this was and how powerful the messages of Haggai was. You see, from the time that Haggai gave his messages, which was less than six months, I calculate that the messages that Haggai preached somewhere was in the range of over a four-month period, just four months. About 16, 12 to 16 weeks, he delivered these prophecies and called the people back to the work that they had begun and warned them about the great inflation that was coming. You see, there was, if you want to know about inflation, read Haggai chapter 1. Just read it, and you'll see it says, You have so much and bring in little. This is verse 6 of chapter 1. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And listen to this. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. In other words, it's just going nowhere. It's just like there's holes in your pockets. And he goes on to say in verses 7, 8, and 9 about all of the ravages of inflation. 
what God was doing, he was not giving a lecture through Haggai of Economics 101, not macro or microeconomics. What he was doing was helping people to understand in that day, and I believe is instructive for us today, is that many times our monetary problems, our financial problems, individually as a church, as a community, as a synagogue, wherever we are, is many times related to spiritual problems. You see, it's rarely a money problem. It's usually a heart problem that has to do with finances. And that was certainly the case as it was with the people of God. Their issue was not that they had an economic problem. They had a spiritual problem. The temple was almost a metaphor because, you see, the analogy is the temple lay in ruins But even more so, the people's spiritual lives lay in ruins. And God said, you've got to get this fixed. And so Haggai called the people to action. And over a period of three to four months, Haggai delivered his messages. And from the time of the delivery of his last message, it was only three weeks till they began building the temple again. Now, that's a call to action. That is a powerful, spirit-filled message that calls people to repentance and to action to restore what was being lost. And the scripture says that Haggai called upon the people to do God's bidding. In verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Notice this is all capitals of Yah, of Hashem. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger. What a beautiful title, the Lord's messenger. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. The remnant were stirred when the man of God, when their leadership, when the elders, when the leader Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, when they were stirred, the remnant of all the people were stirred. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. This is a tremendous passage. You see, at the preaching of the Word of God, which always demands a verdict, the people responded. This is why we give an invitation at the end of every church service. This is why we invite people, once we have spoken the truth of God, to respond. There is not going to be every time that an invitation is given, either publicly or privately. There's not always going to be a positive, open response, but there is a response either to obey or disobey. You say, no, I'm not either obeying or disobeying. I'm just disregarding. Then you're disobeying, and you're not paying attention to what God says. But you see, it was not Haggai's concern as to whether the people responded or not as far as his responsibility. His responsibility was to deliver the words of Almighty God, and it was God's responsibility to move the people, and he did. 
And so it was immediately after that that the people, three weeks after, if you follow the timeline in the Word of God, not just here but in other places, three weeks after he gave his first address, the people began to listen and obey, and God stirred the people. And it was just a period of four years of work that they built that temple and they dedicated it in 516. What a tremendous man of God Haggai was. What a tremendous message and how the Spirit of God moved. We'll talk about that more in the next podcast, but I pray this has been a blessing to you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.